So we're talking about freedom in Christ. Many years ago, when I was just a young man, I was pastoring a church in Lawson. Lawson is a, a town just on the Blue Mountains, coming down the Blue Mountains. You're at the very top of the Blue Mountains, you've got Katoomba. This is west of Sydney. <clears throat> you've got Katoomba, then you've got Lura, and you've got, I think, Lawson, and then Springwood and uh, some other towns on the way down there. So I lived in Lawson, and I lived in Lawson with my wife, Jennifer, and uh, we had one little boy, but at this point of time we didn't have Nathan. Um, and I used to work for a millionaires. She lived on the top of the mountain, and she, she owned a mine, a coal mine. And I used to do her gardening. So this was the way I would help pay my way through college. I would do gardening in her yard and mow her lawns and cut her edges and do stuff like that. And I remember one day, um, I, I, I was thinking about being free. And I started to understand that I really, even though I was a believer, couldn't really feel that I was free. I knew that Jesus said I was free, but I felt like I was all chained up. I remember sitting, going down, she had a, a place, the garden sort of rolled down a nice hill. You can imagine what it looked like. It was just amazing um, because it was big and palatial. And I remember going behind some trees and sitting on a rock wall just looking out over an overgrown valley and thinking to myself, I am so, so bound up. I said, but the worst thing about it is I don't know what I'm bound up with. I knew I was bound up, but I, didn't, I couldn't even tell what it was that was chaining me up. I just felt chained up on the inside. Well, that was many years ago, and I, we've gone some time since then, and guess what I want to tell you today? I don't feel chained up any longer. I don't feel bound up anymore. And I know exactly what was chaining me up before, which I didn't know. God showed me in that journey from that period of time what it was that was binding me up, what it was that was chaining me up, what was, what was the strongholds in my life. And he's helped me over this period of time to shake off those strongholds, to start a new life and to keep going with Jesus. Now, this is like, uh, like um, um, Cheryl said last week, it's a process by which we go through. It's a, a long, arduous struggle. And we saw a, a, a video or a, 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 a thing of, of, a, of, of a caterpillar that turned into a chrysalis and then it broke out of the chrysalis because it had changed, but it was looked changed, but it was struggling. It was struggling. It was struggling. And the struggling was essential for it to pump the fluids into its wings so that its wings stretched right out they said they cut the two little strings that was holding it to the chrysalis and the thing would fall and die. It had to struggle to get that, those wings fully developed. As it struggled, it, it pushed and it pushed and as it struggled, it pushed fluid into the wings and the wings extended out like that. And when they were fully extended, when they were at a place that could support flight, then it broke free and then it could fly. You know, when God puts something in the natural like that, he usually puts it in the natural for us to get the parable to look at it and to see that sometimes that's exactly what it is like for us. We struggle and struggle and struggle and we struggle and struggle and then one day we've got strength to break free. 
Now, I don't think that we have to wait a long, long, long time. I think the struggle is there, but I think God wants to make it shorter and shorter for us. And he does that by teaching us through his word. And when we learn something in his word and we grasp it by faith, that gives us a little bit more struggle and we push that into our lives. So it extends our wings. It's like the word of God comes into us and we struggle with it and we say, I'm going to do this word and we push it into our wings and our wings grow a little bit more and we take the more of the word of God and it's struggle. It's hard to do the word of God, but I'll do it and I push it into my wings until I extend my wings and I start to fly. So I want to talk to you today about breaking strongholds. Now there's one passage of scripture, one passage of scripture that really says it all and uh, if you don't memorize this one, it's okay. Write it down somewhere and try to memorize it because I think it's a really good one. And we're going to just read it through. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. So we're talking about strongholds today, breaking strongholds. You're saying, well, I don't know whether I've got any strongholds in my life. It's simple. You know what the test for a stronghold is? Try to stop doing it. Try to stop doing it. It's simple. I just like watching. I'm not doing it, I'm just watching. Try to stop watching. If you can't stop watching, then it's a stronghold. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting drunk all the time. Just have a social drink. can't stop then it's got you you don't have it it's got you the thing that you want to do, i just don't i don't tell lies all the time i just tell a few lies you know just at moments you know well, why don't you decide to tell the truth all the time just stop now stop lying ask yourself the question is it hard to stop if you find it difficult to stop you find yourself doing it you know the question about whether you've got a stronghold or not is whether you can stop or not if you can't stop, you've got a stronghold there. It's a simple test. It's, just, it's really, really simple. It's just simple. Have you tried to stop something and you just keep on doing it? It's a stronghold. It's a, it's a chain. It's a chain that's wrapped around your ankle that's got you nailed to the ground. It's a stronghold. It's something that's set up over the top of you that... That it won't let you get up off the ground. You can run, but you'll hit your head on it every time you jump up because it's a stronghold. It sets itself over you to hold you down. Ask yourself the question, is there something in my life? Before we go and start learning about breaking these things, ask yourself the question, do I have one? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Think about it now. This week, was there something that you would like to have done but you just didn't because something else stopped you. Something that you wanted to stop that you just didn't because it was just too strong when it came to the push, you just did it anyway. Think about it. Just go over your mind. Think about it. Did you find a stronghold there? Did you find a stronghold? Look at me now. If you found a stronghold, that's great. It's great. Say, turn to the person beside you. Did you find a stronghold? Don't answer. Did you find a stronghold? Did you find a stronghold? Don't answer. Just look at them and say, great. 
Tell them, great. Fantastic. Because when this applies to something, it's good. I mean, there's no point in coming to church and sitting in church and listening to something that has no application for your life. I mean, what's the point of that? It's like going there, read the telephone book to me. Uh, Matthew, uh, Conway, Mark, read 328772, whatever it is. And uh, well, you know, what application is that? Well, it has no application unless you want to ring me. But uh, you imagine listening, you're sitting to the information that's just pouring out from the front here, someone wasting a whole day, half a day, and it has absolutely no application to your life, it has nothing to do with your life. And then we stop and we start and think, do we have a stronghold? If we do, Jesus wants to break the stronghold. Application number one, he wants me to be free. I've been around at a farm and I can see we took what that word, you know, that you guys got, you know, about the animals in the yard. You know, I've seen this. It is so, the turkeys, the turkeys are the dumbest things I've ever seen in the yard around the corner. They are dumb, dumb turkeys. The small turkeys, they can walk straight through the fence because the, the gaps in the fence wire are big enough for a small turkey to step through. But they are not big enough for the big mother turkey to step through. So when the, the fence stands there, the little chicks come walking right up and they say, oh, I will just go right through here. And mum sits on the other side because she can't get through. So she runs up this way and bangs into the thing. She runs over this way and bangs into this. Now there's a gate just there. It's wide open. She could just go down here like, it's just a minute, kids, I'm coming, you know, and walk around here and say, here I am, kids, I walked through the gate. Do you think the turkey knows how to do that? Not on your life. Why? It's got that much span in its brain. It just doesn't do that. It just goes bang there, bang there. You know, it has wings. The turkey has wings. It could step back and go, hang on there, flap, 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 sit on top of the thing and then jump back down on there. It could go over it. It could go around it. But what will the turkey do? The turkey will spend hours and hours and hours trying to go through it. Oh, the question is, do you want to be a turkey all your life or do you want to be an eagle? <laughs> listen, folks. Listen to me really good. You can spend all your time running against the thing and hitting against the thing because you don't know how to get around it or you don't know how to get over it. You just run against it all the time. And all you learn about running against the fence is this. The fence is stronger than you. Step back. Don't be an animal. Don't just run on animal instinct now. It's not trying harder. It's listening to God and being smarter. Don't push harder because you're not going to break through your stronghold by trying harder to stop it. Step back from it. Say, Jesus, how do you get me to get over it? Lord Jesus, how do you got to take me around it? There's an answer to break it. Without you battling it. Who wants to know what it is? Well, I have a little bit more spontaneity. Would that help? You know, if you, you climb, out, like, climb out of your seat. Yeah! Oh, well, listen, let, 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 let me tell you something. I just got to pick on the right person, hey? You know, it's like this, you know. If I start smacking him in the head, hey, do it, do it. I mean, that hurt my hand. Why would I want to do it to this? He's, he's getting ready for it. You know, you'd say, no, that really hurts. And he would say, I want you to stop. If 
So I'd go, back, and I, yeah, I, you'd like you to stop. And I said, well, take that. I'd like you to stop. How, how much do you want me to stop? How much do you want me to stop? And I'll keep on slapping until he, how much does he want me to stop? You see, oh, yeah, I'd like to know this, sure, fine. You know, I'd tell the devil to stop, you know, they're fine. How much do you want him to stop? You know, I reckon that after a, after a little while, if I actually was hitting him, just this for the recording, if I actually was hitting him, because <laughs> it sounds like I was, but I wasn't really, you know, if I actually was hitting him, I reckon I'd get one hit in. <laughs> you don't reckon I'll get one hit in? <laughs> there, I got one hit. Only one. You see, you, listen. It's not going to take long before you've got some motivation. So I want to talk about your motivation before we even start talking about the sermon because if you're not motivated to know this, you're not going to listen to this. How much more time do you want to spend wasted going around in circles? How many more, how many more years are you going to go walking, walking around and around in circles and bang yourself into that fence until your head is bloody and your nose is bloody and you just get so frustrated in life you just want to quit? You sit down and look at the fence, you look at the chicks on the other side and say, I cannot get through. Gobble. How long will you persist? How long will you stay there before you get incensed the fact, the fact that you need to step back and get over it, get through it and get around it? If you don't have a motivation to learn, you will never, ever overcome it. You'll be 90 years old sitting here saying, I'm still doing the same thing I used to do when I was 16, although it's a bit slower now. You will still be bound by sin at 90 if you're bound at 16 and you didn't listen to the Word of God. Don't think that it's just going to go away because you're going to grow older. Nothing goes away because you grow older. It just gets more firmly set in place until you deal with it. So you can be an old person here and you can be bound in sin just like you were when you were born if you don't deal with it now. How motivated are you to learn today? How motivated are you to listen to what I'm saying today and say, look, look, I don't want to keep going around this mountain. This mountain does not do any good for me. It does no good for my family. It does no good for anything about me. I want to move on from here. I want to move out from here. I want to get over this thing. I want to be so free that I can soar with the eagles. How motivated are you? To learn today. It's all about your motivation. Oh, we better read the scripture. For though we live in the world, we do not rage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. I like the King James, it says, mighty through God. Mighty through God. They have divine power, mighty through God. To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Father, I just pray right now that as we study this passage of Scripture, something will switch on in our lives. Lord, that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, 
also speak into our hearts and shine into our lives and reveal the falsehood that sits there within us. Lord, that you would shine deep within our spirit, oh Father, and illumine our minds to your word and the truth of your word that you have broken the power of the enemy and you have truly set us free. Father, we would bind every work of the enemy and every suggestive idea that would come from the evil one Lord, to distract us from this lesson today, we would take authority over everything from the past that would come and present itself in the present, Father. We would take authority over everything that would sit here and defy your word, Father. And in your name, Father, we say, speak freedom into our lives, Lord Jesus. Help us to do this thing, Lord Jesus. Not just to hear this thing, but to do it, Lord Jesus, we pray. Lord, we ask, oh God, that by your Spirit we will walk out of this place, Lord Lord, living this life that you've called us to live in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. On Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, or verses 16 and 25, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, since you live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So this is not something about a key ritual or a key religious thing that you have to do this is about overcoming is about walking with god's spirit it's about that walk it's about keeping in step with god's spirit remember the word walk is making the most of those opportunities it's making the most of god's opportunities when you face them when temptation comes hits you when you're hungry when you're when you're angry when you're tired or when you when you're lonely it's those things come and hit you it's taking Jesus with you and saying, well, Jesus, I'm here. It's coming at me. Here's an opportunity for me to soar. When you run straight into the fence, it's like, ah, an opportunity to express some sort of confidence in the wings that Jesus has given me. A wisdom that steps back from the fence and says, ah, the fence is stopping me. You know what? There's the gate. I'm going through Jesus. He's the gate. I'm going around this thing. That's the opportunity that these hardships bring you. And when difficulties come before you, they present you an opportunity to walk with God. This is not some ritual. This is not some religious thing that you do. This is walking with the Spirit. This is living with the Spirit. This is keeping in step with the Spirit. And you do not keep on doing the habitual bad stuff. You do not keep on doing hitting your head against the, the wall when you are walking with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows the way around. The Holy Spirit knows the way over. The Holy Spirit knows how to get you there. All you have to do is listen to him and submit to him. And he will take you where he wants you to go. Romans chapter 2, and we heard it from uh, um, Cheryl last week. He said, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. I like that from J.B. Phillips. I like that rendering of it. You know, because the world is all about squeezing you into it. You've been squeezed from the time you were born. You've been squeezed into a rut. If you came from Australia, you were born squeezed into a Caucasian mole, and that's the way you think. You think Oka Australia. If you're, if you're squeezed in Africa, you were squeezed into an African framework. If you're squeezed in some other country, you were squeezed into that framework. If you're squeezed in a certain economic standard, you were squeezed into that way. You come with a squeeze. And you know what? You are not made to be squeezed into the world. You are made to squeeze the world out of your life. God calls us to do that. God calls us to do it. it has to, we have to take, take a look at what we're doing and say, you know what? I had enough. I had enough. I'm tired of this now. 
I'm not only tired, but I'm angry about this now. I've got this righteous indignation inside of me. How dare the devil keep squeezing me? How dare the world keep squeezing me? How dare the flesh keep squeezing me when I'm a son of God? How dare that happen? That, that holy indignation stir around in you and rise up in you so that you start taking action about that. You know, this thing that I'm running into, I hate it more than anything else. I hate it with a loathing. I hate the thing that's sin. I hate the sin so much I'm done with it. I don't want to do it anymore. You know why you keep on banging into that wall? Because you don't hate it enough yet. You keep on doing it because you love sin and you don't love God. That's the problem. The problem is you haven't got yourself into a place where you love holiness and hate unrighteousness. You've got to get the love of God so full in your heart that you hate sin and you love God. Then when the stronghold comes and presents itself to you, it's not a familiar friend who's coming to you to walk alongside you. This is your enemy that's sidled up to you. It's your enemy that's coming and say, come and walk with me. I don't want to walk with you. I've seen where you took me before. I didn't like where you took me. I didn't like what happened to me. Why should I walk with you again? And you learn to hate the right thing and love the right, you know. You hate, I got it wrong there. Hate the wrong thing and love the right thing. Friends, yeah, but I live in a real world, you know. Well, so do I. I wake up on Monday, I live in a real world too. Monday comes along and I have to face everything that you have to face. I have to get up and I have to get to work. I have to go and do stuff. It's just the real world. It's like you had a real world situation last year, last week, Krista. The real pressure of real life. Mark. You know, you obviously live in some bob bubble, you know. Well, I do actually live in a bubble. It's the spirit of God's bubble. And that's what protects me. It doesn't always keep me or keep me the pain out of my life. But I'll tell you something, it keeps my head clear. Living in the bubble of the spirit, the sphere of the spirit. Walking in the sphere of the spirit. Living in the sphere of the Spirit. Taking the opportunities that the Spirit gives you. That helps you. Uh, you can do real life with that. Face everything else that everybody else faces. And keep on going. So how does this work in daily basis? I mean, one of the things that concerns me is a lot of times when we, when we preach sermons, we preach ideas, concepts, but we don't preach practice. Do you understand what I mean? What I'm saying is, let me tell you all about the resurrection. Or let me tell you about when we will be resurrected from the dead. And I can preach hours and hours on the resurrection. You say, well, well, what's the application to my life? Well, there's no application unless I'm telling you that we live in resurrected life. And we have a daily walk with Jesus who lives us to live a resurrected life. And I bring the resurrection into my boot and I start walking and living in resurrected life. I did, not, I did not get born again to live the old life. I got born to live a new resurrected life in Christ. That when the, that's when it starts to make sense to me. Don't talk to me about a, something that's going to happen over there sometime. And when it all happens, I'll sit here and I'll go to sleep on you. Tell me about the resurrection in my shoe. How I'm going to walk it to this week. I want to know that. I don't want... We can preach concepts, concepts, ideas. For me, how does it work? 
today? How can I get strength from this so that I can go out and be strong tomorrow? That's the point. That's what I want. How does it work? And better, before we start, and you thought we were started. <laughs> I'm waxing eloquent here, mate, because I could feel God's spirit on me. I can feel God's spirit speaking to me. He cares about you guys. He loves you to bits. He is so zealous for you. He comes and he will sit and talk to you. You know, but you have to be radically honest with him. See, there's no place for deception in the spirit of God. He can't hide under that awesome light of God. When God shines his light into your heart and into your life, you can't hide. There's nowhere to hide. You can try and sneak away somewhere. You can try and deceive yourself, but you can't really because he can see the deception. So when you start this actual walk, it requires radical honesty. Don't sit here with me and, and, and say, oh, well, you know, if I was having a problem, I'd let you know. Listen, you probably are having a problem. Be radically honest. Have you reached sinless perfection at this point of stage? Stand up, all those who've reached sinless perfection. Okay. And you notice, I'm still sitting down as well. Well, because sinless perfection is maybe something that's coming for us, and I think it's something that we can walk into, but I think that we're still on the journey. There's lots and lots of more things that we can learn to put off and lots and lots of things that we can renew in our mind and lots and lots of things that we can put on in Christ. Amen? We put off and we're renewed in the spirit of our man and we put on Jesus. You know, sinless perfection, maybe that's the journey. Maybe that's the journey towards, you know, putting it all off. But we're definitely not. Paul wasn't there. He, he, he remember in Philippians chapter 3, not that I have attained all of this, but I press on towards the mark that I've been. He wasn't even saying he was there yet. So it requires radical honesty. Lying about... Lying about your sin or lying about the thing that holds you gives it permission to stay there. Hmm? It's not really a problem. I've got it in control. Uh, is that right? I, I know I could stop it. You know, I, I stop it for about two weeks, but I, you know, then it comes back. But you know, next week I might stop it three weeks, and then I might have a bang, bang, bang three three days in a row. But you know, you know, I, I've I'm basically under control. You know. It's sorted, Mark. It's sorted. It's all right. You know, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to me. And you're lying to God. The reality of the whole thing is simply this. You can't stop it. If you could stop it, you would have stopped it a long time ago. You keep on doing it because you keep on doing it. It still holds you. And when you lie to me, you give it permission to stay there. You want to give it permission to stay? Keep lying. Test of this. Test of this. Be ruthlessly honest. Can you stop it? If you can, why haven't you? And if you have, then you've got a stronghold. And you need to deal with it. So the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. He comes and he speaks into your life. John chapter 14, verses 16 to 7 says the Holy Spirit will reveal, He make manifest, He shows those things. He, 
brings Jesus to you. He'll show you. Jesus will show you stuff. The Holy Spirit tells us in, in John chapter 16 that he convicts the world of sin. He goes into the unbeliever and he, he starts to convince the unbeliever that his life is not where it should be. So how, how do strongholds develop in our lives? Where do they come from? Well, you can, it's easy to say sin, isn't it? Yeah, well, sin is the cure for everything. I mean, not the cure for everything, but it's the, the, the villain of everything, isn't it? Sin. We know that's the problem, but where do they start? Well, that can be something that we do, you know. It's generational. And what do I mean by that? Well, we read. You know, you just got to get to know something about the read clan. We reads, we come from a holy good stock of uh, Scotsmen from way back, laddie. We, our name is Reed, we're red, because we were redheads. That's where we got the reed from, the red. We were the redheads. You all know that about us, you know. We have always, you know what they say about redheads, they're hot-headed. Redheads are hot-headed. Well, we've always been hot-headed. You know, that's just us. I can remember my father, my father was hot-headed. This is just a story. This is not true. This is the story, Dad. I'm here. I'm a, and you're not a redhead either. You know, it's gone white. Um, and you weren't ever a redhead. It was always brown. Well, when, when you were born, it was fair. But, you know, anyway, you're a complex creature, aren't you, Dad? <laughs> but in the generation, our generation, this, I'm just as a story, a parable, okay? Oh, we've always been hot-headed. That's that. My grandfather was hot-headed. He spent some time doing some time because he was hot-headed. My great-great-grandfather, he was a hot-headed man too. He killed I don't know how many blokes with an oxen jaw or something. You know, we can go back and we can come through history and, you know, we don't you ask me to change. That's just the way it is. That's my generation. That's my generational thing. You can't change what's in your blood. It is what you are. And you accept it. Even though it's counter to the word of God. Because your mummy told you that's the way it is. Your daddy told you that's the way it is. Your great-grandparents told you that's the way it is. It's stuck with you. That's the way it is. And, and if God says that's not that way, you know what? God's got it wrong because that's what it is for us. It's so strong and it's always been strong. I couldn't deny my heritage. Well, there's some heritage you don't want to hang on to, friends. There's some stuff that comes from your generational tree that you need to throw out. In fact, there's some line, generational lines, you need to cut off right there because that line's going to take you down, whereas a new line will take you somewhere else. If you're of the line of Cain that kills his brother, you want to break that one off straight away before you even go any further and say, oh, my daddy, my daddy's daddy, we were, 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 were angry and killers, you know? Well, I want to tell you something. You want to shake that one off and say, I don't think I want to be of the line of Cain anymore. I'm going to be of the line of Abel and let Jesus change it for you. So sometimes the things that we battle with are generational things. They started a long time before you were born. And they've been there a long time. Some other things, that's just what I experienced in life. You know, when I was younger, I had a girlfriend, and that girlfriend, she was nice and everything, but she cheated on me, and she cheated on me bad. I mean, I made her shoes. I carved her shoes and made them. This is a true story now. I made her shoes to wear on her feet. I loved her with a passion. She was my darling, but she broke my heart. She found another man. And run away from me. Well, I learned something about that. 
I learned that you can't trust women. They will always break your heart. I tried to get another girlfriend. And I found that other girlfriends did the same thing. True story. I got engaged to a woman. I thought, this is the one. And I bought her a very expensive ring. My wife is wearing it now. This is not the woman I got engaged to. The first woman I got engaged to. Went on a long trip and did some work. And then I got a letter. Dear John. I said, well, my name is not John. It's Mark. And she broke my heart. Well, I learned something from all that. You might say, what do you learn from all that? You know, life teaches you some lessons and you're going to be a fool to not learn the lessons that life teaches you. How many times do you have to go around and bang your head into that wall? You know what I learned? Mark Reed should not be in relationship with women. He should just love Jesus and go for Jesus. I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to be a celibate. So I sat down and I said to God, I'm going to be a celibate. Forget women. Dad, forget grandchildren. I'm just going to be me and Jesus. And off I went to be me and Jesus in this wide world. You know, that was the barrier uh, stronghold that I thank God he didn't listen to me when I started saying that. Because he woke me up one day and says, you know what? You have to marry this woman. And he told me her name. He says, you've got to stop. You've got to get married. You can't do what you've got to do and not be married. I said, well, who am I going to marry, God? And he says, Janika Lee. My wife. You remember that? I walked in, Mama said, I'm going to take Jenny Glean out. You said, don't you hurt that girl? She's a nice girl. And I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And then my mother said, don't be so silly. <laughs> I've only been married about 35, 36 years. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen to me. Life teaches you certain things. Life teaches you certain things. The hardships that you go through teach you certain things. You might have grown up like Cheryl and you learned some bad stuff. You learned some bad stuff and you learned never to trust anybody and everybody's going to hurt you and everybody's going to try and rip you. You might, have, you might have grown up through life and you might have gone through some really, really bad stuff and you've learned some really, really hard lessons and you've, you've developed some attitude. It's like you have a weave in your fabric. It's like the fabric, it's got a weave in it. It's got knots and stuff and you can't get that out because that's what you learned in life. And that's all a stronghold. It's either generational strongholds, the things that you learn in life. It may not be true, but it's what's controlling you. Yeah, strongholds. Where do they come from? Well, there may be some ex extreme traumatic experience that took place in your life. And ever since that time, you just can't. Keep on going anymore, same as it was. That thing changed your life, whatever that thing was. You might have been abused as a child. And that thing changed your whole view of life. You might have had something very fearful happening to you. And that thing changed your life. I talked to one woman once. And she want, I was saying, you know, what's the fears? You know, tell me about it. She says, you know, laugh at me. I said, I promise I won't laugh. What's your greatest fear? No, no, you'll laugh at me. Three sessions later, what's your greatest fear? I'll tell you then. Buttons. 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 Buttons are my greatest fear. 
Well, you know, why buttons were her greatest fear? I'm not going to tell you. You know why? Something traumatic happened to her and she associated it with buttons. And after she had associated it with buttons, if you came near her and you had a button on, she just couldn't have, she'd have a panic attack. Buttons were her greatest fear. But friend, the devil doesn't care what sort of chain he chains you up with. He will find a chain just suited for you. Yes, Daisy, there are chains ready to wrap themselves around you, my precious. Yes, I know. And as long as Papa lives, he's going to try really hard to talk to you about those things so they don't affect you. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. The devil's looking for a chain to wrap around you. It's either going to come from something generational, it's either going to come from something that's been learned through life, or it's going to come from something that you've experienced, which is a traumatic thing. It may come from all three. But it, it sure as anything will define your life if you let it. So you want to ask yourself the question, what is going to define my life as an individual? Is mental illness going to define my life as an individual? Well, I, I've got this mental illness, okay? Where did you learn you had that? Well, I went, yeah, okay, fine. Are you the mental illness or do you have it? Well, I have it. Some people are so defined by their mental illness, they see themselves as being mentally ill rather than as dealing with that mental illness. You get the difference? Something defines you. It is who you are as opposed to something that you struggle with. Do you get the difference? I am an African as opposed to I was born in Africa, but I am a citizen of Jesus. There's a big difference, you know. If you look at racial problems in the world, there's a huge difference. You know, somebody who is born in Africa and there's black skin may not be racially prejudiced. But you might find somebody who's born in Africa who says, I'm African and that means I have racial hatred for anything that's white. And vice versa. You might call, find somebody who was born in, in, in a country that's white and hates blacks. Well, I'm a white. Look at my color of my skin. What color is that? Well, that's white, you know. Well, what does that tell you? Well, that tells you I hate blacks. Why does white skin tell you I hate blacks? Why does that need to define you? You know what should define us? Tell me what should define us. What defines who you are? Christ's word defines you. Not the generational stuff. Not the stuff, the traumatic stuff that you've gone through. Not the, the way you've learned through life. That doesn't define you. Not the rubbish that you've picked up on. That doesn't define you. The Word of God defines who you are. That's where your definition is. That's who I am in Christ. I am this in Christ. Not what my circumstances tell me. I am what Jesus' Word says I am. And breaking the strongholds is all about getting your head out of the mess onto Jesus and saying, show me Jesus now how to walk. I want to take every opportunity to walk with you. Amen? All right, 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5. Ah, water has appeared on my table. <laughs> 
Thank you. Whoever appeared that. Though we live in the world, we do not war or wage war as the world does. So you have to you have to change the way you think about how you're going to tackle this problem. There's a there's a there's a, a worldly way to tackle problems and there's a heavenly way to tackle problems. You will not beat in this fight if you try and do this a worldly way. When the world comes into the church, you get a problem. And this is where you get the problem. The world would say, just try harder. Do more good things to overset the bad things. If you get your religious duty right, at least you'll be in church every Sunday and then you'll be looking like you're doing good things and you might have overcome. And that's just religious duty. It's works. Works will not fix this problem. You cannot fix this the worldly way. The weapons that we fight with are, are, we do not wage war as the world does. What he says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. So attempts to make it do it harder, like you, you, uh, you, how do you meet aggression? How do you deal with aggression? Well, you deal with aggression with aggression. You know? That becomes a, com- a, compet- a competition of who's strongest. So somebody's getting angry at you and they're coming out really angry at you. Well, you know, you know how you can beat them. You just get angrier back. Well, you see, that's the thing. If you're smaller than them, and he's, you have to kill them no matter what. That's the thing. You know, that's the way the world works. You see, so usually the smaller ones are the ones you've got to watch. Because if you're a big boy and you come in with aggression, you watch the smaller one because the smaller one's going to do something that you're not expecting him to do. Boom! And take you out. Because that's the way the world fights. Aggression with aggression. Jesus never did that. He didn't fight aggression with aggression. He didn't do it a worldly way. And if you're his children, you don't walk the way the world walks. It says, on the contrary, we have divine power. Mighty through God. Everybody say, mighty through God. I like that. It sounds like Pastor Noel, doesn't it? Mighty through God. Let's say, let's do a Pastor Noel. Mighty through God. One, two, three. Oh, let's one more time. I can feel that one. Let's, you feeling me? Mighty through God. Ah, that's the one. Mighty through God. I like that. I like that. Because these weapons are not weapons of the world. They are mighty through God. They are weapons from God. They are God's weapons for the earth's situations. I like that. This is an arsenal. This is a whole array of weapons that we've got in God which are different to the world. They're not produced by our own appetite. When it says they are not of this world, it means they're not carnal. So it's not something that comes from my appetite. So if somebody comes to me with aggression, I think that I'll stand up with more aggression, come back at them. Well, the Bible says, you know, a, a quiet answer turneth away wrath, not a louder voice. There's a quiet answer to it, the way wrath. So it's a different thing. And it says we demolish strongholds. I like the word demolish. What do you think it means? Demolish strongholds. Sorry? Break them down, yeah? Smash them out of your life. Yeah, I can see, you know, I I bring in the choppers. 
coordinates three six over the seven three on the x let it go ah you demolished it hallelujah the shout goes up the ranks are saved hallelujah the army marches out listen that would be nice that's not just the idea here okay so the idea of demolishing this and calling something over. And look, some people come to me and say, I got this, uh, I got this uh, real anger problem, Mark. Can you lay your hands on me and can you demolish the anger? I go, okay, I'll get. Come out, you angry thing. And what happens? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Mark. I got rid of the angry thing. He walks home, he gets home and he meets his wife. He says, where you been? And the angry thing comes back. <laughs> Why? Because he never dealt with it. This is not just that. Sometimes that happens. But that's not what it really is here. It says demolish. Now I have been in building for a while. I'm not in it now. And part of the thing that we used to do was renovations. Carlos, you can remember renovating houses with me. Part of the thing before you do a renovation, you have to do a demolishing. You have to pull part of the house down before you can put another bit up on the end of it. <clears throat> now, there is a way of doing that. This the right way or the wrong way. And you have to learn how to demolish something. Now, bring the D9 in. Yeah, well, this is just a kitchen renovation. We really don't need a D9. A D9 will demolish it. Sure, that will, get, that, that will fix it up. We can get rid of the old kitchen with the D9. But you know what a D9 is? A D9 is a tractor the size of this room with a big blade on the front. And it usually goes, boof, like that, and the whole house will be gone. It will demolish the kitchen. Then everything else will go too. So we don't want a D9. I have in my tools the perfect demolishing tool. It does everything for me. That's why I named it after my wife. <clears throat> it's called the Jenny Saw. It's true. If I said to my son, my son, we need to demolish this, go and get the Jenny Saw. He'd run away to the trailer, he'd open up the trailer, and he'd pick out his precious mother's image and bring it to me and say, here is the Jenny saw. She can do anything. Well, you know, the Jenny saw is fabulous. The Jenny saw can cut timber. Go straight through it like a piece of butter. That's sharp, that blade. But you can change the blade. And you can put a metal blade on the end of it and it can cut through steel. It can do anything. You can put another blade on it and cut through stone. Well, it's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing because it can do anything and it deconstructs carefully that has, that has been constructed. It's, it's, it's important to deconstruct carefully, to demolish carefully. And let me tell you why. Because you go in there with a D9. You can be standing in the kitchen when the D9 hits and you'll be killed in the demolishing process. And you think, okay, well, i just got to get this out of my life. You be careful how you do that. 
because you're standing underneath the steel beam and you're cutting the end of it here. Like this one here. And you cut the end there, and they go, doing. Like it's loose at that end. <clears throat> I'm going to demolish the steel beam. What happens next? It comes down on my head. Yeah, that's the problem. <clears throat> the problem really is that to deconstruct or to demolish something, you need to think about what you're doing. It's not just it's stupid people go and demolish things with dynamite when they haven't learned <clears throat> haven't learned <clears throat> that that may not help. <clears throat> and so we have to think about how we're going to do that. <clears throat> a stronghold is a fortress. A fortress is something very, very strong. It set itself up so that it can't be demolished. A stronghold is something that is going to be difficult to demolish. A stronghold is something that is designed not to be demolished. That's what a stronghold is. And if you've all got strongholds, don't think you can come along with a jenny saw and say, okay, I'll fix this. You may not be able to. You might have to get something bigger than the jenny saw. In fact, you have to sit back, you have to look at it, and you have to say, that's a stronghold. And the first part says, <clears throat> we demolish strongholds. So you might have to get someone else to come in and give you a hand, not just you. You might have to be Joined with somebody else as well as yourself. You might have to say, I can't do this alone. I need somebody else to give me a hand to do this. I'd like to think that I can cut that beam down. I probably have the ability to cut the steel beam there and I have the ability to cut the steel beam there, but I certainly don't have the ability to deal with what happens next. I probably need to have somebody else here to hold that steel beam up after I've cut it. Maybe a crane would be good. Sling the crane around there after I cut it here and cut it there and then they can lower it to the ground so it doesn't kill me in the process. So maybe we demolish strongholds is a good thing to think about rather than I demolish strongholds. Maybe it's a joint effort in this exercise. Maybe the demolishing takes place when we work together. Maybe God put us in the body of Christ for a reason, not that we should be individually, individually doing our own thing so we can deal with our own strongholds, but that we could work together and achieve some sort of support so that we can break those strongholds together. Are you listening to me? We live in an environment where we've learned do it by yourself and do it alone. I have a fence around my yard. You have a fence around your yard. You stay in your yard and I'll stay in my yard and we'll look after our own privately. Jesus takes away the fences. He says, you are members of one body. You're all joined together. I can't. <clears throat> my hand is joined to my arm and I look at the joint. I say, that's a pretty cool joint. I can see the joint, but I can't tell where the hand finishes and the wrist begins. <clears throat> so close is the connection. God help us to learn the closeness of our connection when it comes to this issue. Maybe you're not meant to do this by yourself. Maybe you're meant to 
talk with somebody else and work with somebody else and carefully begin to deconstruct those things that are around you. So what are we deconstructing? What are we pulling down? What are the things that we are pulling down? And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So the argument is the idea or the rationale that's behind something. So it's a very thoughtful process. Why do you think that alcohol is going to do it for you? Why do you think that having that drink is the, is the answer to your stress at the end of the day? What's the reasoning behind that? Why, why do you think that smoking drug, drugs occasionally, having a bit of weed occasionally is okay? Just as long as it doesn't interfere with your life. What's your reasoning for that? What's your reasoning that watching some pornography is fine just as long as it stimulates your marriage, sexual relationship? What's your reasoning for that? Why do you think that telling a lie is fine as long as it's getting you out of trouble so you don't get caught? What's your reasoning behind that? It's okay to lie. It's okay to have sexual immorality in front of you. It's okay to smoke dope. It's okay to drink. What's your reasoning behind that? Because that's the argument you've got to deal with. You will not pull down the stronghold until you've identified the reason how it's sitting there. When I look at a beam that needs to be pulled down, I look at it and I say, you know what? There's some nuts up there I can undo. There's some nuts up there I can undo. My reasoning is that those nuts need to be undone before I pull that down. There's an easy way and a hard way. I think I'll just undo these nuts and pull that beam down. I might look again and say, well, it's just nuts. It's nothing else. There's nothing else. The reason that it's being held there is these nuts. And in my wisdom, then I can move forward and undo the nuts. And that beam would come down. I look and I say, it's not welded there. I don't need to cut it. It just needs to be undone and I can move it. There is some reasoning. Oh, you need to put up some scaffolding before you can pull it out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (coughs) We demolish arguments and every pretension. Now, a pretension is something that's very subtle. It's a lie. It's a subtle lie. So with regard to alcohol, it goes something like this. You know, I'm not getting drunk. I just rely on this because it makes me feel relaxed. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, I just want to be relaxed. I've had a lot of tension and stress. It's a lie because you can get your relaxation from Jesus. Jesus says, cast your care upon me. You can go and spend some time with Jesus and just as much of a relaxing sensation than if you were drinking some alcohol. 
the reason I chopped this up and I put it in a bong and, and suck it out of that thing, you know, and have some dope is because it helps me with my anger. I've heard this one. It makes me calm down, you know. So I don't get so angry. So if I don't take my dope, I get really, really angry. So you won't want me to be angry because you wouldn't like me if I'm angry. So let me have my dope. That's a pretension. Because you can deal with anger in a different way than smoking dope. Oh, our marriage relationship, it's not real fun. I mean, I've been working all day. My wife said the kids around her all night. Now the kids are in bed. We don't feel like we have any energy to make love. It's quite different after we've watched a half an hour of porn. Man, you'd be surprised how much energy we got then to make love. And you wouldn't deny me the fact that having a good sexual relationship in a marriage is a good thing. So the reason why we watch the porn together is because we want to have a good sexual relationship. That's a pretension. That's a pretension. That's a lie. It sets itself up to undermine you. <clears throat> Listen, friends. You have to demolish the things that set itself up. The reasons why you do certain things. You have to sit back and you have to say, why do I do this? And can I find something else in the Word of God that can do this for me? And if you can't, you might need to say, my friend, can you speak to me about dealing with anger? Can you speak to me about dealing with frustration? Is there another way I can deal? Can two minds now think about the Word of God and think about how we can deal with this? Can you pray with me? Can you enter into a relationship which is an accountability relationship that keeps you both honest? Think about it. Because if we listen to the pretensions, it goes something like this. I don't care what God says. This works for me. And no matter what you do after that, makes little difference. Because the stronghold is there to stay. Because it has permission because you say, I don't care what God says in his word. It's different for me. <clears throat> I, had a, <clears throat> I had a young girl come and tell me, she was 16 years old. I talked to God about having sex with my boyfriend. I said, that's called sexual immorality. No, no, no. I said, how is it not that way? She said, because God told me it was okay in my situation that we could have sex before we got married because it was okay. You know what that is? <clears throat> That's a lie. It's a pretension. It's a demonic lie. <clears throat> it's the devil coming and saying, here, look, see my big white wings? <laughs> see that? Whoa, whoa. You like those? And I'm big and strong, yeah? God says it's okay. To have sex before you're married. <laughs> oh, even if an angel of light stands in front of you and tells you something that's different to God's word, the word of God says, let him be cursed. You know what your rule of thumb is? It's your word. If the Bible says don't, 
It means don't. <clears throat> it says that we take captive, we lead away captive, we bring under control every thought, each, every, any, all, the whole lot. <clears throat> and every type of thought. So there's many different thoughts. And there's many types of thought. Well, one type of thought is just a picture in your mind. It's like an image. You're not thinking anything. You just close your eyes and you see it in your mind. Well, I'm not thinking anything. I'm just seeing something in my mind. That's called imagery. You can do that when you're awake and you can do that while you sleep. I can't help it, Mark. This dream comes to me when I'm asleep. You can't tell me that I'm in control of my dreams when I'm asleep, can't I? Of course you are in control of your dreams when you're asleep. What you're feeding during the daytime will come out at the nighttime. If you're feeding the rubbish during the daytime, you'll dream about it at the nighttime. Oh, there may be random times when your mind will just flash back and you'll see horrific things, but you wake up and you say, Lord Jesus, that was a disgusting dream. I'm sorry about having that dream. Cleanse my mind and let me not have any more dreams like that one. Oh, no, you might say, no, I like my dreams because in my dreams I can do all the bad stuff. In fact, I wait for my dreams at night time because I know that I can sin in my dreams and get away with it because it's just my dream. So I wait for the nighttime watches so I can close my eyes and I can go and meet somebody in my dreams. You have fodder for deception. You need to take hold of that thought and take it captive. Why would you let the devil run around and play games with your head? Friends, if you have dreams that are not of God, give them to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you for having those dreams. Wake up. And say, Lord Jesus, so fill my mind with your Holy Spirit that my dreams are now full of your Holy Spirit. That's not an impossibility. I have learned that is possible. Friends, we demolish those strongholds. We take hold of them. We pull them down. Whether we are meditating on it or chewing over, ruminating stuff, you know, thinking about it over and over again. It's bugging me. It's just bugging me. It's in my head. It's like a bee. It just stays in my head. I can't get it out. I can't get it out. I can't shift it. Every time I look, I'm just there again, you know. You know, the situation that starts getting you in the back of your head. You can't get it. Where are you going to go? You know, it's, it's, it's always there. Every time you look, it's there. It's there. It's constantly there. You can't shift it. It's there. Why? Why? Why is it there? Why do you give it permission to stay? What does God want you to do? You take it, control it, take it captive. This is the weapons that pull down the stronghold. The stronghold sits there because you let it sit there because your mind lets it sit there. You give it reason to live. You say, it's okay for me. You say, it's okay for my family. My family always did that. 
I've learned that's the only way to deal with situations. That was that traumatic experience. If it had happened to you, you wouldn't forgive either. And you justify it. It stays there. It never goes away. You need to take that captive. Take control of that. The contemplations, the expectations, the thoughts, the media, the meditations, the images, the dreams. You need to take it all and say, God, not let one thing in my mind that is not of you and take hold of it. Begin to hold it and squeeze it with God's word until it's taken in control. One of the best ways to do that is to ask the question, why? <clears throat> One of the things that I, <clears throat> that I learned about discipleship is the disciple asks the question, why? And Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds. And he says, ask the question, why? Why are they still alive? Their heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father clothes them. They don't strive. They don't, they don't work. But everything is controlled by him. So when you look at creation, he says, ask the question, why does it be that way? And you ask the question, why? And the question why helps you deal with the irrationalities of anxiety and stress because of your lack of provision or your lack of food. <clears throat> you ask the question why. Doctor Who killed the Daleks. Who's heard of the Daleks and Doctor Who? Just one or two of us. Warning, warning, Daleks approaching. Exterminate. That's a Dalek voice. <laughs> exterminate, exterminate. <clears throat> These are little robots that ran around with a sort of a, almost like a, a toilet washer on the front of them. And they, they were robots that would kill everything. They would kill everything. And he, um, he killed off all the Daleks in this, one of his episodes. And he killed the Daleks off by programming into the computer the question, Why? So when they were saying, exterminate, exterminate, kill, one would say, why? But as soon as, soon as why are you not questioning me? Yeah, I'm questioning you. Why? Why shouldn't I question you? Immediately, oh, they'll have a fight and they'll kill each other. Now listen, the devil got you where you are today because you questioned God. Why? Why should I listen to you? I'll do it my own way. Why don't you throw it back at him now and question him? Use the very tool that he used to get you to question God. Use it back at him and ask yourself the question, why? Why? Why should I say I can't when Jesus says I can? Why should I say I can't do this when Jesus says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Why should I accept this nonsense that I can't? I can stop drinking. I can stop taking dope. I can stop immorality. I can stop this stuff. Why should I feel like I can't? Ask the question, why? Why should my needs not be met? Because he said, my God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory. Why? Ask yourself the question, why? Rather than sit there and start saying, 
Oh, woe is me. Shame and scandal in the family. All these things are happening to me. I can't do anything about it. Ask yourself the question, why? When God's word says this, why do I have to accept something different? Why should I fear? When Jesus says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. Why should I let fear control every waking moment of my life? I had a lady come and stay at her place, and she was so very bold, so very, very bold, that at night time a cat jumped on her window, because we have a cat that jumps on windows feet, and she thought it was a demon coming through the window. She's come running out into the hallway. Ah! Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark, a demon's coming in my room. A demon's coming in my room. I said, it's just a cat. No, it's a demon. I showed her, it's a cat. See the cat? It's just a cat. There's a demon in the body of a cat. Well, I said to her, you know what I want you to do? I said, you must put your head on the fear. I said... Uh, uh, <clears throat> hey, I opened the door. It was black outside. I turned the lights off so it was darker. <clears throat> and I went to the other side to where the other sliding door was. And I opened that up. And I said to her, <clears throat> I want you to walk around the house in the dark and come in the other door in the dark. And she said, no, the demons are out there. I said, I know, they're living in the bushes. <laughs> waiting for you. Now do it, woman of God. Ah, walk, not run. Because you know, you know, by the time you get to the your time you get to the clothesline. The fear behind you is built so much as you can feel it sitting there ready to grab you. Ah. So you have to run. Oh, run, 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 run. Get inside real fast because oh, sh -sh 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 -sh. the demon's right on your tail. You know. No walk the whole way. So she stepped out there trembling. And a, and a little lizard goes on the side. Ah, ah, the demons are in the lizard. And she walked around my house. And by the time that she came into the back door, I opened the door and says, well, come on in. She says, they nearly got me at the clothesline. <laughs> they were waiting for me at the clothesline. I, saw, I could feel them at the clothesline. Friend, listen. Why? Why, when God says, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control? Why? Why should I doubt or lack faith when God has allotted to every person a measure of faith? Why can't I believe? Why am I weak when Jesus says, Lord, is the strength of my life? I shall not fear. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Why should I let this thing ride me every day? 
Why should I let the devil have supreme control over my life when the word of God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why? Why should I let Satan control my life like that? Why should I accept defeat when Jesus says, thanks be to God who leads me in triumph in Christ Jesus. Why should I be in defeat? Why should I live in defeat? Yeah, oh, that's seven. The Bible tells us, or people have said this, 3,000 promises in the Bible, that's seven. And then I read another one that says, 33,000 promises in the Bible. Then I read another one that says, 330,000 promises in the Bible. Peter says, whereby are given to us great exceeding promises, that by them you may escape the corruption that is in the world through evil desire. The promises of God. The promises of God tell you what it is and how it is. You need to wake up and learn that the promises of God are there for you in every situation. That you let those things stay there because you let those things stay there. That if you decide that it's time for it to stop, the Bible tells us that the promises of God, no matter how many promises Paul says God has made them, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen agreement is spoken by us to the glory of God. And that's the issue. If God says it, agree with it. Bottom line, the promises of God, how many there are, are amen. The word amen means I agree. When somebody says a prayer, Lord Jesus, we pray for this to happen, and you say amen, amen. The amen means I agree. That's what amen means. It means I agree. So when he says, and through him, the amen agreement is spoken by us to the glory of God. So the promise is given and we say, I agree with what God says. I do not agree with what my generation has shown me. I don't agree with what my grandfather did, my mother did, my father did. My, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with my life situations. My life situations do not dictate my, my being, I don't agree with the traumatic experiences that uh, happened to my life. They don't define me. I agree with the Word of God. The Word of God is my amen. The Word of God, the promises of God are what it is that defines me. Why should I listen to the world and have the world squeeze me into its mold when I've got the Word of God to build me up and to make me stronger to fly like an eagle? Think about that. Chew that over and stop. The nonsense. God made you to be strong in spirit. Overcome. Overcome it. Overcome it. Overcome us. Say it. Overcome us. Jesus, we come to you now because you are our life and our life source. We come to you now, Lord Jesus, because you are the one who gives us the victory. You cause us to overcome. And the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Help us to stand on your promises, Lord Jesus. To do your word. 
And everyone said, I agree. God bless you.